for coming, bringing the people with you. Good to see you again always. And uh, I think it was a good word, and I, I don't know if it's going to tie in with my message. As he was speaking, I thought it tied in with my message very good. It's like a prelude to my message today. Uh, I hope that point gets across. So thank you, everybody. Good to see you on Sunday morning. It's good to be with you here at CLC and bring the message this weekend. Pastor Darrell, as I prayed briefly, is just thoroughly wiped out this weekend, either with a sinus infection or allergies or something, so he's not able to be with us for service today. Call me yes, Saturday or Friday and ask me if I'd be ready to preach. Uh, he's on antibiotics, so he hoped that uh, he soon will be back with us. My message today is entitled, put it on the screen, Following Jesus, Even When We Feel Rejected or Inadequate. See why I thought it might tie in with what you're saying? We'll see how it goes as I get through this. But uh, I want you to think about this. Following Jesus, even when we're rejected or inadequate. Feeling rejected. Somebody told me, uh, I think after last night's service, everybody feels rejected at some time in life. So I hope it really fits us. But if we feel rejected or inadequate, that seems to be so prevalent in our society today. We are living in uh, a fast-paced world, so much is demanded of us, and uh, in this modern world in which we live. But I want to say to begin with, no matter how we feel, no matter what we're going through, no matter what's happening in the world, I'm sure you're watching the news, you saw the tragedies that go on in our city, or maybe what's happening in our world, I want to say we have victories, we, victory in Jesus, we say. We have a source we have a contact with the Almighty and a purpose in life that many times we forget or are unaware of. So what I want to do is give us some promises. Just a few listed on the board up here. Jesus said, I will never leave you or forsake you. I think he's going to say it in a minute. There it is. I knew if I stared at it long enough, it would come up. Look at the promises we have. We feel rejected, feel inadequate, nobody understands. We got one person that says, I will never leave you nor under, or forsake you. Amen? Call upon me and I will answer you. She said, you have not because you ask not. But it's the Father's good will to give you the kingdom and where all men forsake you. Hallelujah, we can read it. The Lord will take us up. Pastor Darrell began a series of messages last Sunday, and uh, who can tell me what's the new series about? Anybody? Out loud. About, I heard one person say wisdom. That's right. See, he was on a... I just want to say it pays to sit on the front row. Yeah. Uh, what was the title of the series? Get Smart. What book is it based on? Good. Next week he's going to give you an exam on my message. No, I don't think so. Anyhow, he began a series on wisdom from the book of Proverbs. He asked all of us to read the 31 chapters, just a chapter a day, uh, to get that wisdom that's in the book of Proverbs. I began last Sunday reading it again. I've read the Bible through several times, and, and usually King James Version, and Proverbs has some real wordings and different phrases. 
this time, I uh, was amazed at how much Solomon had to say about relationships with one another. Because this time I began to read it in a modern translation instead of the old, like, and I'll tell you, that it came alive. I couldn't believe those things were being said in the book of Proverbs. I invite you to just digest that and get the wisdom that God wants to give us. And as we go through the book, I'm surprised how many times it says, if you will follow the wisdom, you'll have a long, good life. You'll be successful. This will happen in your life. What I want to conclude, we need to trust God. We need to trust him no matter the circumstances, no matter what happens in our lives. I'm preaching, I'm feeling rejected. Um, or what our mind is telling us in this fleshly way of thinking. Our mind's telling us who we are or where we are, what can we do, where we are emotionally, mentally, physically, or with relationships or acceptance, even acceptance of ourselves or other people. And I want to say it's all the amazing grace of God to see us through no matter what we think or what we feel, how we feel we're treated, what happened in our life. Tom was just sharing along this line. We can see God and he will see us through. Anybody say amen? Let me get with, begin with a very simple illustration of how something can be available to us. But because we may be unaware of it or don't use it, we lose out. When the solution or the answer is at our disposal and ready to be used just for the asking, to possess it. The illustration I want to give you is from my car. An inanimate object. Maybe you don't know it, but I'm a car guy. I like cars. I like to study them, look at them, use them, enjoy them. And there are so many accessories you can get today, it's unbelievable. The comfort and luxury just abounds. Probably that's why I enjoy sticking with big old cars. One of the things I've increasingly wanted in a car, though, especially as I've got older and feel the cold, I begin to think, wouldn't it be nice if I had heated seats? Especially with the cold weather in Chicago. I never had those before. When I would ride with Brother Harry, Jennifer's father, we've been together 40 years in ministry, he would say, oh, let me turn my heated seats on for you. How nice on a cold day. And then Jody and Mark, they don't have a big luxury car, but they have an older vehicle for the family. But when I have ridden with my daughter Jody on a cold winter day, she would say, turn on the heated seats. I would enjoy it so much. And I begin to say to Pastor Harry and to Jody every time, I said, boy, when my next car is going to have heated seats. And then one day, I had somebody riding with me in my car, and they needed to adjust the seat to fit them. And I tried to show them on the other side, on the door, is the adjustment. And as I looked and pointed to the seat adjustment in my own car, I was flabbergasted to see there was a button right there on the door in my car for heated seats. <laughs> Don't laugh, it wasn't funny. No. <laughs> and, I, and all this time I'm driving my old car, I had heated seats, while I continually said, I'm going to get heated seats on my next car. I had heated seats. All I had to do was push the button. 
The more I thought about this and, and used my heated seats for my comfort, the more I saw the application spiritually. What's the lesson? We already have the provision provided for us. The answer is ours. It's, all, it's already in our possession. Uh, it's been ever since we first came into possession of Jesus Christ as his child. All we had to do was receive and then act upon it on his provision and use it. Just like making the right connection. Just turn on his blessing in our life and enjoy what's there for us. So many times in life we get the feeling, I wish I had that. I wish I had heated seats when I already got them. I, I wish I could have this blessing when all the time, lesson I learned, it's already been provided for us. Things we are requesting from God has been provided for us, and somehow we missed the whole point. We need to make the contact. We need to push the button and live in the blessing that's already provided for us because it's already ours in the name of the Lord. Think about that for a minute. We just have to recognize it's already ours and believe what God has provided. Everything Jesus has for us has already been provided. He said on the cross, it is finished. Nothing else he could do. Our, our whole redemption, everything's been provided for but the Bible says, you have not because you ask not. The Bible says, we've been given all things that pertain to life and godliness. That means things of this life and spiritual things as well. It's already been given to us. Another thing, ask and you shall receive. The purpose of my message this morning is to see what is ours. Not to get our cues from what the world or even the enemy or people around us tell us what circumstances or pop culture or the talk shows or television wants to tell us what we are like or what we don't have and what we need. But I want to say, what does God have to say about us? Amen? A couple of things I want to say as I make an application uh, this morning on this message. It's a little different message than I usually preach, but I've been thinking about this for months. I want to preach this. Make the application. We pretty well know ourselves. We know what we're like. We know what we have. We know the type of person we are. We are that type. That's our personality. That's the way we are. We know our limitations, so we just accept that, and that's how we live. In fact, we put limitations on ourselves. I can never do more than what I'm doing because this is the way I am. I've heard that all my life. People come to church, well, I'm sorry. This is the way I am. I just don't do that. I don't act that way. I have people say, I just can't do that. Rather than say, I can do all things through Christ which strengthens me. Philippians 4.13 says, I can do all things. Kind of like my heated seats. I don't have that. It's just not mine. It's not mine. Rather than using it, rather than believing with God and standing upon God's word, he hath given me all things that pertain to life and godliness. Hallelujah. We need to stand upon that promise. Pastor Darrell's series is on wisdom. The title is Get Smart. He asked us to read the book of Proverbs, 31 chapters in 31 days. As I said, I started doing that last Sunday in the 
different translation, and I want to tell you, it's been exciting. I, I just am amazed at what was put into that, into that book. And, and it's come alive for me about wisdom. It tells us in that book what we need to know, how to act, what to do, what not to do, <laughs> to have wisdom. And we can't say, but I don't have wisdom. Hey, there's a whole book that tells you how to have wisdom. Or we say, but I'm weak. Or that's not my nature. I can't do that. I don't have that. It's not really me. The Bible tells us, let uh, the word of Christ dwell in you richly. <laughs> Did all of you see what happened last Sunday to the jar of water, the jar of tea that Pastor Darrell had up here? I thought maybe Jennifer's going to bring me a cup of hot tea while I'm preaching, but I don't rank along with Pastor Darrell, I guess. Pastor Darrell had on the stand, sitting right here last Sunday, a large thing of hot water. And he had a tea bag. And he put the tea bag in the hot water. And you know what had happened? You all know. Hey, I started drinking tea. I gave up coffee in 1992 when I made my first trip to India because I didn't have any coffee while there. I started drinking hot tea. I came back, why am I going to start drinking coffee again? I'm still drinking Earl Grey tea ever since. Because I know how to do it. How to get it just the right strength and everything. I put the tea bag in the water. And that plain water turns into a pot of tea. He illustrated for me. As the tea bag dwells in the water richly, you can get a rich cup of tea out of you. Got the point? I didn't act it out. He already did that for you. Because it changed into something new, from water into tea. Simple illustration, just like my heated seats in my car. I have them. All I have to do is turn them on. All I have to do is let his word dwell in me richly, and I can become what God wants me to become. I believe we can live lives that are different, rather than, I, Tom, I really appreciate what you had to say. Rather than give the church cliche, let's see what God wants us to be and to do. Because it's ours for the taking. I don't want anybody anymore to say, I just don't do that. Or that's not who I am. Or I can't be any different. I want to illustrate this morning with a couple of examples. Now that I've laid the groundwork, that's just introduction so far. I want to give you a couple of examples from God's word. And the first is, lady named Leah in the Old Testament. If anybody didn't have it, it was Leah. She was rejected by her whole family. Rejected by her father, rejected by her sister, rejected by uh, the, her, her neighbors, the world around her, rejected by her husband. And I just want to give you a couple of simple things about rejection. I'm going to put it on the screen so it'll be clear because I thought it could get confusing. To be rejected and to feel rejected are two different things. To be rejected, that's an event, something that happened, something somebody did to us. It just happened, and we felt rejected. Second point is to feel rejected is an experience. We feel that whether we're really rejected or not because it's an experience. There's a difference between an event and an experience, which is a, a choice. Every choice involves a selection and a possible rejection. 
Remember this, because somebody has made a selection not to select us in the same kind of relationship doesn't necessarily mean that that's rejection. This could be in society. It could be on your job. Somebody said something and we take offense at it. Maybe they didn't mean it that way. Uh, in our family, friendships, even in marriage, some of us can feel rejected somehow, and that could be either real or imagined. But I would like to say, just because on your job, at your home, family, society, whatever, made you feel rejected, that doesn't mean that that rejection is, is universal. There are still some people who accept you. And even if there's nobody that accepts you, you are the choice of God. Because it was his choice to create you as you are. He didn't create anyone else as much as he created you to be his child and his beloved one. And our relationship with other people should proceed out of our relationship with God so we have a Christ-like relationship with the people that we're dealing with. I want to give you, as I mentioned, two or three examples from the Bible to illustrate this. The first example is Leah in the Old Testament. Turn with the book of Genesis, the very first book of the Bible, chapter 29, where the story of Leah is told. I'd like to, I thought of this as I was preparing, I never preached on Leah in my life before. In fact, I can't ever remember a sermon I heard on Leah, but this story fits exactly what we're saying this morning. We all know the patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, patriarchs of Israel. Well, Jacob was married to Leah, but he really loved her sister, Rachel. You talk about a problem. He married the one, but he meant to marry the other one. He's got a problem. The whole story of Jacob is a mess, relationally. Jacob's brother was named Esau. Remember that from Sunday school? Jacob and Esau, children of Isaac and Rebekah. Well, Esau, his brother, hated Jacob because Jacob stole the family inheritance and blessing from him. Jacob was the favorite son of his mother, and Esau was the favorite son of his father. The mother liked the traits in Jacob. The father liked the hunting traits in Esau. Already we see the making of a dysfunctional family, don't we? You say, dysfunctional family in the Bible? Yeah, they were. They were human beings. A uh, parent showing favor for one child over the other child is not a healthy situation, but I'll let that go. Uh, Jacob was a tricky guy. If you want to be more blunt, he was a deceiver, and he used it to his advantage. He stole the family blessing through deception. Then Esau, his brother, wanted to kill him. <laughs> he had all he could take out of Jacob. So Mama, who, like Jacob, decided Jacob should run for his life and go to her brother's family in another country. There he was welcomed by Laban, who was his mother's brother. But <laughs> Laban was a tricker or a deceiver, as was Jacob. The rest of their life, they rivaled each other to see who could outdo the other one. And that leads me to the story of Laban's two daughters, Leah and Rachel. I ask you to turn to Genesis 29, 16, and 17. It'll be on the screen already. It says in Genesis 29, 16, And Laban had two daughters. The older daughter was named Leah, and the younger daughter was Rachel. Verse 17 says, Leah was tender-eyed, 
but Rachel was beautiful and well-favored. I picked up the message Bible in my office just before I came. You know what it says about that verse? She said, Rachel was stunningly beautiful. <laughs> she, was stun- she stood out. She was stunningly beautiful and well-favored. Everybody liked her. Rachel was good-looking and had an outgoing personality, well-favored. Everybody liked Rachel. Leah, on the other hand, was more introverted and not nearly as good-looking as her sister, and I think it intimidated her. The King James Bible said Leah was tender-eyed. <laughs> I never knew what that meant. But then the New Living Translation I was reading, and it said there, there was no sparkle in Leah's eyes. Got that? She was kind of plain, I guess. Her eyes just didn't sparkle. NIV says Leah had dull eyes. And she wasn't as pretty as her sister, and she couldn't keep up with Rachel. I'm sure that means she probably had an inferiority complex, don't you think? So she could never measure up to beautiful Rachel. In a way, Leah was rejected by her father. He wanted to get her married off as soon as possible. So he tricked Jacob and sent Leah to be his wife instead of Rachel, the one that Jacob really loved. Now you might ask, how could that possibly be done? But think back to the days and the customs at that time. It says in the Bible, there was a big celebration at the wedding. It was a spectacular event. But remember, back then in that culture, women wore a thick veil so nobody could see their face. I just returned a week ago from India. Ladies there dress uh, much differently than you hear. Their, their cloth covers them entirely. Some even wear veils on their face, thick veils. You can't see them. They all they can see out. So nobody could see her face. And then they lived in tents. No electricity, as Jacob could not really see her in the dark. In fact, verse 22 says, When it was dark, Laban took Leah to Jacob. When it was dark, he brought his new wife. Imagine the next morning... And he soon found out who old Laban had married him off to, the older sister, Leah. Imagine the shock when he woke up and found he had been married to the wrong sister. So good old Laban, the father says to Jacob, hey, no problem. I'll give you Rachel to be your wife too. You just work another seven years for me and you can have the other sister. And so they did that. You remember, this is back in the the uh, patriarch era when they had more than one wives. Can you imagine Leah's life now? If you're ahead of me, you already imagine it. All of her life, she couldn't measure up to her beautiful, outgoing sister. And now for the rest of her life, she is married to her husband who really loves her sister, and Leah has to live with both of them. What a life that is. Wow, what a miserable existence that's going to be for her. She was rejected by her father and her family, by society as she was the ugly sister, and now by her husband also who really loves her sister more than he loves her. The Bible's plain on that. The only reason given for that was she wasn't beautiful and had weak eyes. As I said, she was rejected by her father, by the world, by her husband. But I want to tell you, the Bible makes it very clear that Leah was accepted by God. I want to put it on the board in just a minute. 
Bible makes it clear that she was accepted by God. Let me give you a little bit of the rest of the story, as Paul Harvey would say. Point I'm making in morning, this morning, it's on the screen now. Human rejection is not divine rejection. Just because people don't see where you're coming from doesn't mean God doesn't know where you're coming from. We need to live unto him, not unto everybody else. Human rejection is not divine rejection. The Bible makes it clear Leah was accepted by God. Do you know that the priestly family and the royal family in Israel both descended from her sons, Levi and Judah? Levi was the head of the priests. Judah was the head of the kings. They were her boys. In her lineage were great priests, prophets, and kings. But even greater, the Son of God became flesh in, by one of her descendants. Jesus was born in the tribe of Judah, and Judah was her son. She was a great example of a strong woman because she never allowed anybody's rejection to make her feel unworthy. And she just kept raising her family. She knew who she was. She knew what she was supposed to be doing in the context in which she was born and married there. Today, a great part of world history in the Judeo-Christian area of life owes its distinctiveness to the fact that the son of Judah was born. Jesus Christ came to this earth, and God honored her for that for the rest of his life, her life. So no matter how you feel in this life, what you're being given, I want you to remember, human rejection is not divine rejection. Amen? She was rewarded with her own family. That was a sign of blessing in those days. She had children, one after another, and Rachel, the beautiful sister, didn't have any children until the very end of her life. Leah was a mother of 10 sons, and 10 of the 12 tribes were her sons. God had a plan. Hallelujah. It's a good feeling. Let me just give you the second point first. The second thing I want to talk about before we close this morning, our time's about gone. So let me just mention the second person I want to mention was Job, who illustrates this point so well. Job has a book in the Bible named by him. And Job was a man, I'm going to put it on the screen up there, had absolute stability in the midst of adverse storms. Job had absolute stability, strong as could be, in the midst of storms that were adverse to him. Think of Job for a minute. It's not a good feeling when one is rejected for reasons that we're not responsible for. Job didn't do anything to have all these things happen to him, but he didn't become bitter. He kept his eyes on God. You know, things can happen to us in life, and we don't need to take offense at everything. We really need to say, what's God's plan in all of this? And also, it's even painful when you're rejected for reasons of being misunderstood, which happened to Job. Job felt both of those things. Pressed into adversity, not his choice. Also gravely misunderstood by his friends. Of course, his servants turned against him and despised him when he became bankrupt. Their relationship was only a materialistic basis. Uh, they only craved his acceptance when they needed his money. Money's gone, they're gone. But the greatest pain came when his friends called him, 
quote, an evil and wicked person and argued that his adversity was the result of his sins. The greatness of Job is found in the fact that though rejection had touched him, he never lost his grip on his view of God and of himself. You want to make it in life? Don't lose your touch on what God is and what you are in him. Job did not falter due to adversity. His hopes did not die because of his adversaries. The Bible says that God rewarded him twofold. That means twice as much in the end for his faithfulness to him. Job's faithfulness. Hey, Job said in Job 13, 15, Though God slay me, yet I will trust him. I'm not going to be affected by what happens to me in life. Though he slay me, yet I will trust him. Job could say in Job 19.25, But as for me, I know that my Redeemer liveth. Hey, this is the New Testament truth. I, I wondered how in the world, even without the New Testament to explain it, Job could say, I know that my Redeemer lives, and he will stand upon the earth at the last. And after my body is decayed, King James graphically say, after worms eat my body up, Yet in my body, I will see God. I will see him for myself. I would say that means there's going to be a resurrection. Hallelujah. It goes on and says, yes, I will see him with my own eyes. I am overwhelmed with this thought. I don't know how Job could know these truths except for faith in Almighty God with a revelation from God of who he was. My message this morning is dwelt on two people, Leah and Job. And show that no matter what they went through, or what happened to them, rejected, misunderstood, that even though they were both went through difficulties in life, notice what it says, human rejection is not divine rejection. And we can have absolutely stability in the midst of adverse storms. You get the point this morning? I hope that got across. Amen. We just take a moment in closing right now, and I want us to bow our heads in prayer. I would like, before I give the benediction, for us just to meditate on the message this morning and, and let God speak to you about you, about His plan, His design for your life. What does God want done? What is God trying to get accomplished? Now, I urge you not to take offense at every little thing that happens, but keep your eyes on the plan. God, what do you want in my life? What are you doing? It's what God wants, not what we think we are. You may come this morning and be discouraged, maybe settled in your discontent. Well, this is my life. That's all I've got. But I tried a message to ask you, what does God say? about that. Let's just take a moment and heads bowed, wait on the Lord, say, God, what do you want my life to be? He's already provided his blessing. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Lord, speak to every one of us right now. Oh, God, speak to us. Lord, I just pray no matter what 
anybody or everybody is going through in their own feelings at this time in life. I pray, oh God, you will transport us to a heavenly perspective. God, help us to live beyond our feelings, along what's beyond what's done to us. May we walk in faith. May we reach out and possess that which you've already provided for us. Help us to be lifted up to a higher plane spiritually so we're not tossed about by every word that comes our way. Let us hear from you. May we hear what you think of us. Lord, I thank you this morning that human rejection is not divine rejection, that you love us so much you came and you are going to help us stand in stability. In the name of the Lord. Bless us, O Lord, I pray. Amen. Amen. Just stand with me for the benediction. Every Sunday, as you know, Pastor Darrell says, Beloved, we are one, clo- one week closer to heaven. This week we had a funeral for the oldest child of a family in our church. And as we were having refreshments at gym, somebody came up and he said, You know what Pastor Darrell says every week? We're one week closer to heaven. Kind of brought it to reality. It really happened. The blessing may the Lord bless you and protect you. May the Lord smile upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord show you his favor like he did for Leah and Job and give you his peace. Father, just make this message indelible in our mind. They will not be so down, defeated, upset by everybody. But may we Cast our eyes upward to you. Be with us, I pray, O Lord. And everybody said amen. Amen. God bless you. Greet one another. And uh, altars are always open if you want to pray afterwards. Thank you. God bless you all. Amen. What? Good job. Thank you.